You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Hello there. My name is Miles Jupp cricket fan and together with my co-host Mark Wood, actual cricket man, we invite you to listen to Middle Please Umpire, a new cricket podcast containing the two of us banging on and sounding off together about cricket and quite possibly all manner of other things while lifting the lid on Mark's life as an international cricketer. And as if that wasn't enough, we shall be welcoming some great guests along the way and chatting to them about life on and off the playing field as they spill the beans, drop some truth bombs and see if they can withstand the scrutiny of our brutal interrogations. Middle Please Umpire is available right now from all your favourite podcast providers. Hello and welcome to Stop Hammer Time. And it's a three wins on the trot. Stop Hammer Time this week. And to join me to celebrate are, as always, Jim Grant. Good evening. Hello, Jim. Everything all right? Yeah, very good. Yes. And uh, also, old friend of the podcast... He is an entrepreneur, a journalist. He is Benji Lanyardo. Hello, Benji. Hey, Phil. How's it going? Good. How are you? I'm well, all things considered. Yeah, I'm all right. How are things in lockdown? Um, uh, pretty slow. Uh, uh, I'm, I, I, I'm, every night I'm going just to pubs and staring through the window forlornly um, and just sort of asking <laughs> for them to throw beer at me. Yes. And no one's, no one's done it yet, which is a Well, shame. of course, Benji, you and I live near each other, and it looks like the old dairy, uh, which is a very popular pub, has been killed off by coronavirus, because during that brief window of opportunity when uh, the one over the road, the Stapleton, opened again and other pubs opened, uh, it didn't and has remained closed since the uh, dawn of um, coronavirus. I which don't is know, but if, if, you're, if you're team Stapleton like we are, yeah, you know, it means rivalry has finally been settled and, and, and in the battle to the death, the Stapes has won. Yeah, yeah, true, true. Um, but uh, it was really popular, that pub. Maybe it's rent, maybe it's lease is really high. Maybe they just couldn't keep the rent up during uh, lockdown when they weren't making any money. You know, that must be a thing that kills off a load of these places. Anyway, anyway. <laughs> That's enough about pubs and how they work. Uh, uh, last night, last night we uh, we played Aston Villa and uh, we squeaked past them. And uh, I found uh, I found a match report uh, online, which uh, I'll read to you to give a flavour of uh, the game last night. Uh, <clears throat> West Ham United, I'll start again. West Ham United last night spurned the opportunity to go 13th as they crashed to yet another win, this time against Aston Villa. Despite showing the resolve and tenacity of a team determined to halt a dispiriting run of victories, the Hammers proved once more incapable of hanging on to a draw. After the game, manager David Moyes said, we're bitterly pleased. We had good chances to lose and we just didn't take them. And at this level, if you don't take them, you get rewarded. It's as simple as that. You can hear a piano drop in that dressing room right now, but we go again and it's my job to go and get them mentally unprepared for the next game. 
The Hams won't have a better opportunity to lose, facing as they did a team in possession of candid photos depicting the referee snorting heroin off the back of a trafficked sex worker. Villa, or as they're known in the West Midlands, cheaty blinders, did everything they could to win the game, including diving, being given a penalty for diving, then being penalised for diving by missing their own penalty and losing the game, proving that crime both does and doesn't pay simultaneously, earning Ollie Watkins the nickname Schrodinger's Cheat. Uh, Yeah, I think that gives a flavour of uh, what happened in the game. Uh, it was uh, it was Absolutely. a rather fascinating game. What did you make of it, Benji? Um, I thought we absolutely robbed them, which was so much fun. Like that is, that is not usually what we do. It's very no. rare that we that we play pretty underwhelmingly. That we come up against a team who are working really hard and playing better than us, and have got a genuine sort of world class talent in Grealish. Yeah, it yeah. reminds me at the moment being a Villa fan probably feels a little bit like. Being a West Ham fan felt during the Pie season where it's just like, oh my God, we've got someone absolutely unbelievable playing for us. And he's astonishing. He's an amazing player. And yet somehow we just sort of ground it out. And I found myself, when that VAR decision went against Villa, my mind wandered back, as it did at the weekend, to Sheffield United away last year yeah. when uh, yeah. the Robert Snodgrass goal was disallowed in the last minute and I felt that kind of heartbreak. Well, I feel now, especially as we beat we beat Sheffield United away and then we've just got a last-minute uh, uh, goal overturned against us that, that we're even now. I'm quite happy to, to get rid of VAR now that we're even. Yeah, yeah. It's, <laughs> it's sort of a shame, isn't it, with VAR that we're now... We're now we're we're now conscious of how VAR doesn't work and the shitness of it. So that when his arm was in that forward position, I thought they have to disallow it because there was that one a couple of weeks ago with the lead striker, that sort of young yeah, lead Bamford. striker, sort Bamford. of kind of pointing where he wanted the ball, and in pointing, his arm was offside. And you're going, oh god, can't it be the feet? Because his feet were behind the feet of the other player, and like. You know, that sort of, but knowing that it's not like that and it could be an eyelash or a nostril that's that's offside, it just makes the whole thing kind of going, oh, they're not going to allow that sort of quite good goal. You know? and, and it was even more ridiculous that the reason he was offside is he was trying to escape an Ogbonna foul. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah. like, Ogbonna was holding him, so he was kind of jostling out of it. And by jostling out of it, he, he, he was offside. It, I mean, it's yeah. a complete nonsense i mean it really does expose how awful var is it just happens to be that this time it went in our favor i did think in a way um we were sort of rewarded for the amount that they were cheating and get away, getting away with stuff and finally in a sort of crucial uh moment they uh they had a decision go against them and they had a penalty uh, which they missed because uh, i thought the penalty was pretty soft too the thing with Grealish that i can't oh, work out is is, is well, with, with with Grealish, it's we know that he's the, you know he's the most fouled player in the Premier League, and that is probably directly correlated with the fact that he's one of the, the most exciting and best players in the Premier League. But he is absolutely brilliant. He has made winning fouls into an art. He knows how to do it, and I can't quite work out whether that's cheating or just very very clever. Well, they I mean they put they didn't actually really sort of. Uh, maybe they did in the post-match interview, but there was one that was sort of getting sent around on social media yesterday, which was one of those things where he dives about a second and a half after he's, you know, come into contact with the other player. And you think, well, maybe that's how he's winning a lot of these uh, most fouled player in the championship fouls. Yeah. Do you know I what? Think, I don't know. I, I Jim, thought, I thought, sorry, Jim. Yeah. What do you, what do you I mean, I think, in the, I think in the modern game, everybody tries to get away with it everybody everybody does the I'm, I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna invite the contact or look for the contact and then go over that's become part and parcel of the game what it needs is a firm referee who just puts you know, just you know regularly waves play on when when players try it on it yeah was, that was I, I you know in a way we're fortunate there weren't Bigger decisions in 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 the game because I I thought that was the single most abysmal refereeing performance I've seen in a long long while. Like he, he just did not have a grip on that game 
at all, and it, it could easily have, have got properly out of hand. I thought there was the you know some of the chat that was going on between. I mean, I mean he, he, some of his decisions were were laughable, really. Um, there was one where one of their players kicked one of our players and fell over and got where got a free kick. Yeah, you know, with it, you know, within shooting distance. Um, the little flick of the shirt with Rice, and then and then him falling spectacularly forwards, even though the flicks were for the penalty was was yeah. was, was a nice. I, th- I thought the so. one where um, Grealish uh, dived, clutching the other knee than the one Fornals had uh, kind of flicked out at. I mean, you know, it was all happening right in front of him, and he just lost the plot. I thought. I thought he was terrible. That referee, absolutely terrible. Yes, it was poor, wasn't it? Um, interesting, you know, uh, interesting from Moyes, the substitution, the deployment of uh, substitutions yeah. last night. Well, we were saying last time, I don't know whether you would have uh, agreed with this, Benji, but we were saying last time that Haller had improved um, against Sheffield United and um, and probably deserved having scored a winning goal as start. Um, you know, to build on on that kind of confidence that started to seem to kind of kind of emerge, um, and we knew Antonio. You know, he's quite a slow comer back from injury, isn't he? It takes a little while to to kind of get up to full full steam. Um, and I thought possibly it was the wrong starting selection on that basis, really. And and he kind of put it right at half time in a way. Yeah, yeah. I think in hindsight, yes. I think that. Given the choice between Allaire and Antonio, I'd still probably take an 80% fit Antonio over a 100% fit Allaire. And I think that's probably the, the calculation that, that, that Moyes made. Um, the thing that I really liked from Allaire last night is he got, there was a moment where he was getting absolutely properly stuck in on the near touchline. And I think he ended up conceding a foul. But he was basically really ratting around and, and put and throwing his body about, about and showing his strength, which is something we haven't seen enough from. Yeah, I, I agree. And we could add to the refereeing, uh, um, you know, poor performance, the fact that every time he went up for the ball, I think it wasn't, it wasn't Mings, it tended to be the other guy who was marking him. Uh, was trying to wear the same shirt as him. He was like ripping his shirt every time, and he we got nothing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I agree with Benji. I think I think you know if Antonio was back, I would I would start a kind of less fit Antonio over a fully fit Alaire. And uh, but it wasn't happening for it wasn't happening for Antonio in a way. Part of it was not just from Antonio himself. It was slightly because uh, um, he was slightly suffering from the problem that Alaire has is a lack of people getting close to him uh, in that first yeah. half. But I mean, you know, that combined with his general not quite at the racesness, um, you know, meant that that change and it was a brave change happened at half time. It was a double substitution at half time, yeah. and um, and a change of formation as well, which I. Th- thought it was also really really impressive i think i've got to say that, that um i can't remember whether it was pellegrini or whether it was billage or whether it was allardyce but there was definitely a period in west ham's history where we used to always moan about the, the manager being not um reactive enough and not willing to make substitutes yeah, until yeah. the game well Moyes certainly isn't that i mean to make a double substitution and a um and a formation change at half time when you're we, we when it was one all at the time wasn't it you know we weren't even losing so it was really he was clearly he saw beyond the scoreline, which was one all, yeah. and realised. I mean, we just weren't playing well. Yeah, I mean, it was a curious one, wasn't it? In in the sense that it kind of won us the game because Ben Rama's a little bit of class and 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 great finish from from Bowen um, in the end was the winning goal. But actually, in terms of Villa's dominance of the game, it didn't it didn't work, did it? Um, <laughs> right. Um, no. So, uh, you know, we could easily, it's fine margins, isn't it? We could so easily and probably, arguably should be talking about uh, a draw or a defeat, you know. And then I think that that t- initial team selection and the changes of time, would be, we'd be looking at them very differently, wouldn't we? <laughs> no, it's very strange, wasn't it? I mean, the second half, we couldn't get the ball off them. No. We just couldn't get the ball off them. I mean, no. you know. I think what we had. You, a, what did you make of Suchek? Did you think? I, I think the last few games he's looked as though he he kind of needs a rest. You know, he's looked a little bit leggy. Well, he know, definitely he? he definitely needs a rest. He, he, both international breaks, he's played pretty much every minute for the Czech Republic. Yeah. You know, yeah. It, I think 
it's inevitable. Like not even. I think it's actually the same with um, Soufal as well. I think he's played every single minute, and but he, yeah. he, he, he didn't start. Or maybe he didn't start the season in the Premier League. Maybe he had more of a rest over the summer. Who knows? I don't know what happened with the Czech league. But but Suchet yeah. looks nappy. Absolutely. And Rice didn't have his best game yesterday. I thought he looked a bit tired as well. He's played no, a lot of football. I thought that's year. true. I thought I thought we just didn't get close to them. Uh, we didn't press them in the way that we've pressed other teams. Um, uh, in, in in recent games and and also I just think um, and this has been a thread that's you know come through the, the two one nil wins as well is it, some of the decision making in the final third from 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 Bowen from four nails you know is, has not been great yeah um, from the wing back and from the wing backs as well you know some of the crossings been poor uh, you know Arthur put in an absolutely got into a decent position and put in a wretched kind of balloon yeah of yeah and Bowen as well uh, Bowen yeah. over hit one yeah. Uh, yeah. So, question, yeah. question, question to both of you: Would you against Man United on Saturday? Would you start with the sort of formation and personnel that we had in the first half or the second half? Like, would, would you start straight away with our second half formation? What do you think we've learned from that? Um, I think I, I think I'd stick with the back three because I still feel that's that's you know yeah. that's what's brought us by and large our success. But I'm thinking, I think Ben Rama's really knocking at the door now and offers that little bit of spark of creativity. So I think I'd, I'd be looking to try and find a way for him. But he um, just won't drop to one out. Start. For, he, he won't just, drop he... Fornals, no. Um, and I, I think Fornals is also, you know, I think, you know, he's runs and runs and runs. And I think he's he's probably uh, someone who could do with a little bit of a, a little bit of a break. You know, we, we, we're going to have a tough schedule over, you know, there'll be lots of game, more games than um, one a week over, over the Christmas New Year period. Um, and, uh, you know, it will catch up with you. Can't, it'll catch up with the squad. Yeah. You can't keep just playing the same 11 week after week these days, you know, not in the modern game. I think um, Fornells is quite sort of talismanic for Moyes. And uh, I think it, yeah. it would be, he is in a position to sort of cultivate an understudy for him. He's got both Lanzini and Ben Rama. What he doesn't really have an understudy yeah. for at the moment is our central two. It's kind of uh, Suchek yeah. and Rice every week, you know. Um, yeah. I think I think you can't you can't really start noble with his just lack of legs and lack of pace. I think we'll get overrun no, I mean, the, by any sort of decent you, the team. Thing you, yeah. I mean the thing you could do with the back three and the wing backs is go to is 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 to put two up front, as it were, with one one, one in, um so so go to a, a sort of um uh have someone actually helping uh yep. Rice and Suchek Alkin with Put four hours, sort of more centrally. As, uh, um, well, that's perhaps. kind of what he did in the second half. It's kind of what he did in the second half. He had three in the middle. Four yeah, hours. Yeah, it was near. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think. I mean, I think we you would still. Four, I think three, three, weren't we? Yeah, he's he's got options, you know, in attack. But you know, I think part of the <clears throat> part of the issue is that I think um, four hours. I think he just tends to like him to play all 90 minutes, yeah. you know. I think, yeah. you know, I mean, p- part of this thing about Moyes uh, in the last, um, you know, the the closing part of last season and the beginning part of this season, people are frustrated by his sort of lack of proactivity in making substitutions. But as I've said, I think it is when you're looking at your bench and going, it, it, does the next thing I do weaken the team or does it strengthen it? You know, mm. if you're, if you can bring on Kevin De Bruyne, your team will be the same or stronger. A yeah. lot of our chance, a lot of our options on the bench will definitely on paper weaken the team. So you, mm-hmm. so he's really thinking carefully about making those. Also, you know, players are in the groove. They're in the groove of the game. You know, I remember mm-hmm. Bilic making that substitution where he brought James Collins on who wasn't sure he, who he was supposed to mark. And, you know, the other team scored yeah. a goal because he was just fresh off the bench, not really in the rhythm of the game, not knowing what was happening. And and I think substitutions are much more easy to make in people's minds than they are in reality. Yes. And that's why that's last night's very proactive two changes at half time was, um, you know, uh, quite a revolution. Uh, you know, the the on social media today, it almost made people sort of complain more about his lack of substitution making in that he did it. Uh, and it was the exception to the rule, but I think yeah. he is, he has to be careful because we don't have a deep bench. 
No. You're right. It wasn't, but, it wasn't um, Pellegrini or Allardyce. It was it was him. It was Moyes. <laughs> it was the one we were moaning about that didn't, wasn't proactive enough and did the opposite last night. You're right, Phil. Um, the, the other thing I was just going to say quickly is that with Fornals, I, I've, got to, I've got to admit that I, I, I still don't really get it with Fornals. Like, I, I don't, for the position he plays for us, he works hard, but you need more than that in that position, as far as I'm concerned. That's why I prefer Ben Raba, because he's got the X factor. However, I'm just like, we've got to start just trusting Moyes a bit more, I think. You know, I'm willing to accept that, you know, a little while back, I was I had no idea what Fornals offered. And then he scored that amazing goal. Was it away? Was it Leicester away that he scored yeah. that incredible goal? Amazing first touch, great finish. So he's got it in him. And, I, and again, I just think Moyes is now earning the level of trust where you just say, all right, Moyes, if you think Fornals should start, Fornals should start. Yeah, I think so too. You know, I think, I mean, you know, there, there are things that people sort of don't like about Moyes and you're just going, well, he's our manager and he's the sort of manager we can get. The last time we tried to get a glamorous manager, he turned out to be rubbish. So, you know, yeah. Moyes is sort of at our level. He's taken that team, he's organised them. And I think a lot of the problems that face him or or shortcomings on his part are the fact that, you know, we still don't have the strongest team in the world and there's nothing he can do about that. Exactly. He can't sort of turn our squad into a better squad. It's the squad and we he changed things fundamental things this season he was the one that decided let's give this back three ago and move Cresswell in there and it's yeah. worked yeah, you know, he, yeah he just deserves the credit for it yeah and it didn't and happen then, by accident because it happened the last time he managed us he yeah, did exactly yeah, the yeah, same yeah, thing then absolutely. so it's not like well, an accident or circumstance it's attitude isn't it as well it's a resilience you know that there's a kind of um you know we were really under the cosh Yes, then, and, and, and you know, they, it felt, um, you know, there's a resilience that, that that rarely is there in West Ham teams that we've seen. You know, that uh, that game where being clobbered, you just expect to lose or, or eventually equalise to come. Um, but you know, one way or another, we kind of we seem to be digging our way out of games where we're not playing very well. Yeah. Um, so, and that's what those you know, teams I, I, that sort I of win that. the championship do. Not that we're going to do that, but like Liverpool had a lot of sort of very chatty one nils where they scored in the final minutes of the game last season. I think yeah. that is part of yeah. a kind of you know a sort of winning mentality is that you you win and it might not be pretty and it might not be the best football, but you do and you get a bit and of luck. Sorry, Jim. We always seem to have a goal in us as well. We always seem to have a goal in us. Yeah. You know, the, the, it's the idea that we, we've we got ways different. We're scoring so many from open play, you know, that in a ways that we didn't used to. I mean, I thought it was a terrific, the second goal was a terrific piece of uh, skill from Ben Rama. That little dinked ball in, yeah. little Pop Robson type flicked header from Bowen, you know. Just yeah. finding that little bit of space. It's the kind of gold sort of, you know, silver score for Man City. You know, Absolutely, yeah. Wonder, you, know, you know, and um, so I've, I've enjoyed that aspect of, of, the, of watching the games, is that sense that, you know, you, 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 so many times in the past, you know, you've, you've had that awful feeling of, uh, oh, you know, well, how are we going to score? We just don't have a method, a no. way, of the, you know, other than a lucky break. Or, something, or a mistake by the opposition, but I would say you know we we're a threat. Always. Even even in a game where we were under the cost, actually there were times going forward in the second half you thought, oh, I really fancy us to score on the break again and get a third. Yeah. Actually, uh, and you also have people that will have a sort of. You have people that would take a sort of snapshot out from from you know from outside the area, like Bowen did a couple of weeks ago, just quite early on in one of those games. I can't remember which one, but just took a shot, and it only you know just narrowly glanced the crossbar. And we now have players that sort of do that, you know. Yeah, um, and I think, yeah. I think one thing I was going to say is that we we've, we've got we ha we've had a bit of luck as well. Yeah, you know we don't. It, it, it bloody helps. You know we did not deserve yes, to win that game. Absolutely, we did. And, you know, you could yeah. see, that, you know, you could easily have seen the Sheffield United game go, go, go in the opposite direction as well at times, you know. So it's just, it, it feels like, it feels like we are, lots of things are aligning for us to be bloody fifth in the league at the moment. It's extraordinary. Yeah. I thought that, uh, I thought Ben Rama looked really good last night. And, and two, he's come off the bench twice and come up with an assist for a goal. And it's the right, you know. There was almost no other move he could have done, like the squaring, you know, to Suchek for that goal. And as you say, Jim, last night's effort was really good. And, you know, I think he is, as you say, banging on the door. I also thought, you know, 
people have been a little on social media down on Bowen, you know, uh, yeah. in the last few games. But I mean, it's only that he doesn't score because I think he he contributes a lot to our tempo. He is, you know, he plays at a high tempo for the entirety of a football match, and I don't know. Yeah. I don't know how people are not seeing that because it, it, it's very important and it's very important to the team that we have players that are playing at a kind of fast tempo and Suchek, Rice and Bowen are like that and Fornells. Uh, and Fornells, I was about to say, you're right. Yeah, Fornells as well, yeah. I mean, that, that's that's the key to it and that's why he loves them so much, clearly, is that, you know, they are they're, they're in the opposition's faces the whole time. They're busy the whole time. They don't stop running. Um, they don't give up lost causes. Um, you know, and 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 uh, that's the way. You know, as you say, that's that's how the, the tempo is set for the team. Um, I, I do. I do yeah, think Rice, that Rice, Rice was a little bit off the, off it yesterday compared to, but he, you know, he was imperious in this particular second half against Sheffield United. I thought so. You know, yeah, he, uh, even do, even when he was a poor game, he's still pretty good. Benji, I was just going to say, I do wonder if that's um, what ultimately will tip it in 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 uh, for Mouse's favour rather than Ben Rama is the work rate. I, it, it was noticeable actually. That um, Ben Rama, his ball retention is not as good as Fornells because Fornells very rarely gives the ball away. Um, you know, between them, I think you've got an almost perfect player. If, you, if Ben Rama had the ball retention and work rate of Fornells, then golly, we'd have a player. But almost, you know, just by, mm. by, by the nature of the kind of player he is, that slightly more tricky, mercurial player who's got a much higher ceiling and more X factor, you are going to lose the ball, you know, three or four times. Yeah, yeah. yeah. A half. Yeah, he he looks. He, I mean, he he. To be fair, <clears throat> Ben Rama, I think, has got the message that in this team you've got to you've got to put the effort in. You've got to track back and so on. Which I think he did. It's just that he looks like a hopeless defender, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he always bit, yeah. looks like a foul, or you know. Uh, and he gave that penalty away, didn't he? Um, the Fulham one, wasn't it? Yes. Well, so, at Brentford, at Brentford, he was a bit like, oh, what was the QPR midfielder, Tarabd, right? Who and who was basically, was it Neil Warnock that said, just don't enter our half. Just don't do it. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. You stay, you stay up there, <laughs> we'll give you the ball and make you brilliant. You know, that that, that is more or less what Ben Rama was doing for Brentford last season. So it's a very yeah. different skill set in the Premier League, really. Yeah, 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 it was. And yeah. on the other hand, he's the kind of player who looks like he might win you penalties. Exactly. Uh, yes. Because I'm yeah. pretty sure he's pretty good at going down under a bit of contact. And uh, we haven't, as Moyes pointed out in one of his interviews, also, we haven't been awarded a penalty in this season of mad penalty giving. Yeah. We haven't had one yet. Is that so right? Long overdue a pen. Yeah. Yeah, it's extraordinary, isn't it? Uh, with uh, Noble out of the team as well. Uh, let's take a little break and come back after this. If you want an e-bike that doesn't look like it's made for the shopping precinct, something that's less Mr Bean and more Steve McQueen, Check out the range of bikes from London-based Cooler King. From dope 250-watt city bikes to Harley Bobber-inspired 750-watt beasts that can tear your face off while leaving your smile intact. Cooler Kings are made in limited numbers, yet highly affordable. Check them out now on the web at cooler.bike or find them on Instagram with hashtag CoolerKingBike. Cooler.bike. E-bikes that are cool AF. Welcome back. Yes, um, it's interesting uh, not not having any penalties uh, at the sort of moment that it looks like Mark Noble may be fading out of the team. Those are probably two, a combination of quite favourable things because uh, I wonder who would be our penalty mm. takers. I sus- sort of suspect Bowen probably takes a good penalty. I think Antonio took one last yeah. season, didn't yeah, he yes, did. there's yes. I think it was it was um, it was, didn't Noble give it to him last season? Yeah, I think so. I think so. I but also, I back Rice as well. I reckon he just smash it. Yeah, yeah. I my vote would probably be Bowen. I think. Yeah, he's got the he's got the um, he, he his technique seems backable, doesn't it? Yeah, he's, he's got yeah. 
he knows and he backs himself and he backs himself as well i think you know yeah, I really like Bowen. I just dis- I disagree with people that are saying that, that he's been a bit off the pace. What he is, he's just a bit patchy. And actually, he's not necessarily patchy in terms of performance. He's patchy in terms of output. He kind of gets a goal. Like, for example, he scored so far this season, his goals and assists have, all, have come in two games. He scored two goals in one game, then a goal and assist in another game. And in between, he hasn't got a goal or an assist. He still has a no. good level of performance. Um, but I think he I think he takes his midfielder duties very seriously as well as his kind of striker duties. I think he's he's up and down that flank a lot. He puts in a shift of stuff that's like, you know, perhaps not noticed so much. I think his work rate is good. You know, he's tracks back all the time, he puts tackles in. <clears throat> you know, I think he um he's got quite a lot on his plate rather than just putting the ball in the net, you know. Um so yeah, yeah I mean the the I think it I think I think we would get caught out if that sort of going back to a, a back four became something we were sort of tempted to do a lot because I think our our lack of a sort of truly good left back might slightly, you know, punish us. I think sort of uh Cresswell's sort of fading uh legs are are being sort of utilized by putting him at the left of a back three. And in fact, he's kind of having a one of his best seasons at this position, you know. Oh, completely agree. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the quality of his delivery from deep is is really. I mean, you know, the one really, really good cross we put in the first half was him was Cresswell again from deep. Um, yeah. And and uh, you know, he's he's really is top notch when it when it comes to those those balls in you know those angled balls. The one for Antonio for his goal at, at Leicester, for example. Yeah, um, yeah, and we found a system that plays to his strengths and to Arthur's, you know, forward instincts rather yeah. than his, you know, defensive. And, you know, I, I don't see the need to fundamentally change that. Um, no, we could probably do with a, a you know, a, a left back, couldn't we? Sort of in the I, squad. Well, know. we need someone who can play that Cresswell position. I think. I think you know. Um, We've got, what do you mean? Do you mean left, do you mean left of the back three? Yeah, right. a left back who's flexible enough to be able to. Um, I mean, I'm sure they'll be looking one, but I think they'll probably be looking for for height as well. I mean, I think they'll look, look for someone tall. Um, I think I agree with you. I just think it's quite funny that we've always said we had two left backs. We had Masuaku and we had Cresswell. The problem with Cresswell is that he wasn't really that good going forward. Hasn't been in recent years. The problem with Masuaku is that he couldn't really defend. So they basically both ended up not playing left back. We've got, yeah. you know, Cresswell yeah, on yeah. the left yeah. back three. Yeah, and I sort of feel that we could really do with one, you know. I mean, I you know, I think there I think he's I mean, I think this three at the back is is partially due to necessity rather than sort of anything else. I think he's you know, he's got the, he's he's utilizing the players he's got. And I think if he if there was a really good left back in the team, I think we might not be playing that formation. I think it is Possibly. it is sort of nature nurture. You know, we I I feel like we're we've got quite good cover at right back now because I think I think I like Fredericks, you know, he's not as good as Kufal, but um I think he's all right. And in fact but he's got, suited to wing back, isn't he? You know, which is what he became yeah. and play. He's suited to playing in a back five, I think. Yeah. Things. And I think we've got Johnson as well, who looks all right. So yeah. I think on the right side, you know, for the first time in years, we almost have a kind of an embarrassment of riches. You know, yeah. uh Kufal can play left back, but it could also play wing back. Um Fredericks is probably better at a wing back, but can play right back at a at a pinch. And uh Johnson you know, can play right back. So for the first time in, you know, five years, we're sort of, we look all right. And now the problem is sort of on the left, I think. Yeah. I'm reflecting. I mean, going back to what Benji said about Cresswell, I don't think it was necessarily that he wasn't, you know, that he, that he, that he was not good going forward. I think the worry about Cresswell was, as, as Phil said, you know, post his big kind of um, injury. Injury, his, yeah. His, his pace, his pace, his leg. You know, he hasn't, he, he can't get up and down the way a modern fullback uh, needs to do, but he he's always had quality on the ball and going forward. But, yeah, his goal at Chelsea last season, you know, for example. Um, yeah. So, uh, and I think you know, it's gr- uh, kudos to Moyes for finding a you know finding a way of. I mean, obviously, he used him in that position first time around, didn't he? You know, finding a way that that gets brings the best out of him, and that's yeah. what it's the, it's it's good the managers only, do. It's the only way to get him in the team, I think, because the modern the modern fullback is an attacker. 
They're not a defender. They're an attacker. No. You know, whether you're whether you're Alexander Arnold or Robertson, who who are playing in a, a back four, but they are not defensive players. They are attackers. And and Cresswell as that kind of up and down the wing fullback just can't do it anymore. We know he can't. No. But he's, no. Undoubtedly a talented player, and I think it's quite a, a talented defender. So we're a talented defender with a lovely left foot. So actually, we've we've got the kind of we've got, I think this is the optimal position position for him definitely, right definitely. now. And yeah. and the truth is, what we've seen at the weekend, well, sorry, the weekend last night on Monday night, is flexibility, and I think that's a really good attribute to have in this Premier League because again, like three at the back is quite sort of de rigueur at the moment, you know. And we've shown that we yeah. can do it, but we can show, we can show if necessary. It's not working. Yeah. We can go. Yeah. Um, it's, really, it's a really good position to be in. I think you're right. I'm sure in the ideal world, what Moyes would want to play is a back four and 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 find that that attacking uh, modern left back. Um, yeah. Because with with Rice and Suchek in front of them, you've got the protection of the yeah. for us to be able to play that system, and then good that point. would mean that would mean the argument of kind of who fits in between. You'd have room for one more. You know, creative midfielder, wouldn't you? If you if you if you if you did that, so um, uh, I'm it's sure that's where he's. You know, we don't at the moment. We don't yet have the personnel to do that. But I I wouldn't be surprised at that, that, that it, to see the team evolve in that way. Uh, yeah, through the next transfer window or two. Yeah, yeah. So um, uh, this week, uh, the football world lost uh, Diego Marag- Maradona, as as we know, but we also uh, lost Papa Buba Diop. At yeah. the age of only 42, yeah, um, which was very sad, wasn't it? Um, yeah. You know, it, it happens a lot, these kind of premature, you know, these premature deaths among footballers, doesn't it? It, it, yeah. it would seems anyway, you know, they, 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 they seem to be a regular occurrence. And uh, yeah, it's such a shame. He didn't really, you know, he was... Uh, you know, he was a classic Allardyce uh, <laughs> big man signing, wasn't he? But um, yeah. I quite like, you know, I liked I liked his work when he was... Well, he, he I mean, yeah. he absolutely did what he said on the tin when he came in. Yeah. He was commanding, you know, because he was a giant. But also, you know, he could play as well. Yeah. You, just, you just went, you know, well, this is another sort of defensive footballer, uh, you know, and... Um, how are we going to put the ball in the other team's net? But but he certainly, I mean, he did really kind of shore things up. You know, we didn't get off to the best possible start in that season. We were all right. Lost the first game, didn't we, against Cardiff? Mm. And I mm. think we, you know, I think we had a draw away at Palace. And, you know, things were, we didn't get off to the best start. And then maybe we bought him sort of at the end of the transfer window or something. But he, you know, him and Abdullah yeah. Fai, uh, certainly, him and Abdullah Fai were just incredibly commanding, weren't they? And uh, and suddenly everything at the back, you know, with both of those, yeah. fa- both of those were phased out by the end of the season. In, in, in a way, Papa yeah. Diop was replaced by Mark Noble or Gary O'Neill. And... Our centre backs became Reed and uh, Tompkins, and he brought yeah. he brought real experience. I think the thing with 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 Papa Bupa Diop is by the time he came to West Ham, he was on the sort of downward arc of his career. But yeah. he actually, the, the thing that I realised in sort of seeing the, the obituaries and tributes from this week, he kind of in a, in a career that might have seemed unremarkable, he did two pretty historic things. First of all, he, he was part of that Portsmouth team that won the FA Cup, which is pretty extraordinary. Yeah. And then, of course, that opening goal in the 2002 World Cup for Senegal, which was uh, scored yeah. against the champions. You know, he scored that opening goal with yeah. that incredible Senegal team that had, a, you know, it was when El Hadjif was suddenly the most exciting player in the world. And he was the one, Papa Bupa Diop was the guy that scored that opening goal in the 2002 World Cup. So, you know, a pretty extraordinary career looking back on it. Um, yeah. Do you know, do you know perhaps a crude question, what, what was the cause of death? Was it, was it sudden? Was it an illness? Do you have any idea? Uh, I don't know. Was yeah, it heart? You know, sometimes sure. you know, foe was a heart defect. Yeah. Um, yeah, African you know, obviously. males are slightly more susceptible to this, apparently. Maybe. Um, yeah. So, yeah, no idea. But, uh, yeah, you know, he was, um, yeah, played for us for a very short time. But, um, you know, he certainly really, he certainly did a job when he came in. And in a sense, he is one of those players that um, what Allardyce liked about him was not what, 
people that like good football like about him. I think Andy Carroll was a better footballer than Sam Allardyce gave him credit for, yet Sam Allardyce was his biggest fan, but really just for his height. And yeah. uh, Papa Boobo Diop, sort of the same thing, probably. I think, you know, he sort of was actually probably quite a talented footballer um, being given the job to basically just screen the back four and get in the way of everything. Um, mm. And probably had skill a skill yeah. set slightly beyond yeah. that. But, uh, yeah, it was, um, it was so sad to see him go. Um, something else R. this R. week that – sorry, Benji. Oh, just saying RIP. Yeah. Uh, yeah, 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 absolutely. Uh, something else this week that uh, was was sad uh, for very different reasons was, did you see the Anton Ferdinand documentary? I didn't. I didn't. I've been very, very busy moving house, so I, I haven't ah. caught up with it. But Have you moved? Uh, I read a bit about it. I have moved, yeah. yeah I have ah. moved. Are you sitting amongst uh, lots of boxes now? Um, not, not immediately in the room that I'm in, but oh. uh, there are some boxes that yeah do need to be uh opened um we've, we've done a lot we've, we've kind of you know knuckled down to it um but yeah i saw it looked very i will catch up with it definitely um, yeah it's on iplayer uh, i sort of yeah. really recommend watching it i yeah. sort of was reminded you know it is very um yeah, it's very, it is touching. I think, you know, because he had left us uh, and played for Sunderland and then QPR, I, you know, he slightly yeah. disappeared from our radar a little bit. So when that, when that fracas with John Terry happened, uh, obviously all right thinking people thought, well, John Terry's a cunt. Uh, that's why that <laughs> happened. <laughs> <laughs> it's easy to it doesn't need csi to come in and dust the scene for fingerprints to discover <laughs> the cause of what happened he is a fucking wanker and that's what happened um so you're reminded of that in this documentary but um what you don't realize is how i mean ferdinand the hate mail he received uh on social yes. media immediately after the event from sort of Chelsea fans. But then when uh, in its initial sort of hearing, um, which was a legal one rather than an FA one, because it came from a member of the public who heard, you know, what Terry shouted and alerted the authorities. Um, When Terry sort of got away with it, uh, the judge basically saying, I think you did it, but we just don't have proof that your ridiculous lie right. that you were putting that very bad expression in quotations and claiming that Ferdinand had said it to you and you were just repeating it. I don't have a hundred percent proof that that's not true. So I'm going to sort of let you off. And then Ferdinand was bombarded by hate messages not just from Chelsea fans but from all right-wing racist football fans across the country and um it sort of destroyed his confidence as a footballer and he fell out of love with the game and also basically I think that's partially responsible for him moving to those two Turkish teams in a row he didn't want to play in front of English crowds Mm. Because God. of just his, it's, you know, it's 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 a really sorry state of affairs, isn't it? And, and yeah. it does feel as though, just you know, not just in football, but in broader terms, you know, since um, you know, 2016, it has got worse. You know, people have been are more brazen, feel more somehow the sense a sense of um, that they can come out and say things. Um, in a way that they might have said them in their head before, but yeah. kind of knew that they couldn't. Somehow the kind of shackles are off a lot of really uh, racist people, I think. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. I just hope somehow, you know, w- you know, we can turn the tide slowly again, you know, back again. But I, yeah. I think it's, yeah, yeah. it's, 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 it's difficult. Strange synchronicity. It's sort of strange synchronicity in that, you know, this has been in the news this week, in the same week as John Terry, you know, a sort of rehabilitated John Terry is now being linked to managerial jobs. And it just shows there's yeah. not much not much justice there, you know. No, um, the, no, the, no. You know, he'll probably end up being, he's an assistant at Villa, and he'll probably end up being the next Derby boss if Rooney doesn't get it. He'll end up being a boss somewhere. I had a sudden thing, you know, thought today, yeah. I was like, oh, imagine if he was West Ham boss. 
you know, I would, yes. I would, I don't think I'd go. I'd hate it. You know. No, no. I'd have I'm, a problem. I would really have a problem with that. I think. I, I, yeah, I, we have I, a similar I thing. Similar, not completely dissimilar challenge when we um, had Lee Boyer. Yeah. Um, I remember there were yeah, there were yeah. it was forgotten about relatively quickly. Whether that's right or wrong, I'm not sure. But there were protests outside the ground when when um when, when we signed Boya. I think we signed him yeah. twice, didn't? We? Yes, we did. Yeah. 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 It's a sort of testament to the sort of idiocy of of the FA and the people that run football. That in a sense, the person hung out to dry by everyone was Anton Ferdinand, who who. Yeah, was the victim. Um, similarly, you know, when um, Mark Clattenburg was uh, entirely falsely accused of racism, he then had to sort of go to a tribunal, be declared innocent of the thing that he had never done in the first place. And then the people that falsely accused a man of racism in an attempt to destroy his life and career simply walked away from it and went, oh, well, we tried. You know what I mean? Common the yeah. common denominator, yeah. Chelsea. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely, yeah. Chelsea. Yeah, you know, absolutely. It's, yeah, it's it's particularly unjust, isn't it? Because I think, as I, I mean, I haven't seen the program yet, but I understand from the, as I remember the incident, that the point was that, that Ferdinand himself didn't actually hear Terry say it on the on the pitch, and it was somebody no. else who, who 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 reported. So it's not like he's even. You could even turn round and and uh, accuse kind of Ferdinand of being someone who was accusing someone of doing anything. No, that's right. The, the issue is purely the fact that John Terry was found to be surprise, surprise, a horrible racist, and uh, um, and and the person he was abusing ended up getting the blame for that. I mean that 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 yeah. seems the the. Uh, incredibly unjust. Um, and it really did seem yeah. to, you know, even in this documentary, Anton seems sort of slightly kind of diminished as a sort of person, you know, and sort of crushed by a weight of sort of sadness. You know, his mum uh, died subsequent to, um, you know, th that chain of events and uh, um, died amidst this sort of atmosphere of quite bad things happening to her son. And, uh, you know, really? so that the the role of that in the story is really you know incredibly oh, sad. Yeah. It's funny those yeah. Ferdinand boys have had to they've had quite a bit of adversity, haven't they, between yeah. them? Yeah, Rio's yeah. wife died, didn't didn't she? I didn't realise their yeah. mother had died as well. All this, God, yeah, difficult. Yeah. But yeah. it set me thinking about Anton, yeah. and um, you know he was a he was great. Anton Ferdinand, I thought he was a terrific footballer. May you know a shade less good than his brother i think i think he was really good he him and elliot ward basically got us up that Gabbard, him and anton the, and gabriel yeah well anton ward and ward and ferdinand yeah. got us up which is what i'm saying and then ferdinand and gabidon were in one of our best seasons where we get to the fa cup final so he plays you know he because yeah. because you know we we weren't good that that promotion season from the championship we had a good yeah. run of games at the end and part of that was finding the center-back pairing of youth team players anton ferdinand and elliot ward i think anton was already playing but he brought Elliot Ward through because it was basically Anton and, you know, that bloke we got from Fulham in a swap with uh, Ian Pierce. Andy, mm. what was his name? Oh, yeah. In, you know, we were just trying to find... Sorry? Melville, isn't it? Melville, that's right. Melville. Uh, trying to find central defensive pairings, a kind of fit and then unfit and then fit and then unfit Ian Pierce, uh, Melville, you know, and then finally settling on Elliot Ward and Anton really gave us the solidity that sort of got us into the playoffs in those last few games of the season. And then in, you know, that, that season in the uh, Premiership, getting to the Cup final, Anton was fantastic and he... he he was a big personality on pitch. He was slightly, you know, ironically, given his sort of sad demeanour now, was really kind of ebullient and enthusiastic on the pitch and was just a great, a great, great presence in the team, I thought. And that yeah, goal against Fulham. Yeah, I loved him. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah. Defense. Goal against Fulham, yeah. That's yeah. the same game that, that Yossi scored a wonder goal as well. We scored two. Yeah, yeah. Oh. yeah. Absolutely. I think he was... Um, yeah. It's probably a casualty of the global financial collapse, wasn't it? I think he sort of went 2008 or something like that. So we'd got um, uh, we'd got um, 
Matthew Upson in, hadn't we? And uh, uh, still had Collins well, and still had Gabidon. Same time as Gabidon, didn't we? We signed Collins. Yeah. Gabidon. So I think at that time in 2008, we still had Gabidon, we still had Collins, and we had Upson. So given that they felt they had to sort of trim uh, the budget a bit, they they sold Anton and probably got sort of a decent yeah. amount of wedge for him. And um, we sort of didn't argue too much with that then. But, you know, again, in retrospect, if we'd had Anton Ferdinand and James Collins, we might not have gone down in 2011. Uh, you know. Uh, and good luck to him. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So uh, our next game is going to be Manchester United. What do we think? I, well, just, just quickly, I was just going to mention that we are uh, one of the – I was thinking about this game and the funny thing about it is that last year we won. We beat United, of course. We did. And and so it means we can't make any gains on the on the Uncle Jeff coefficient, which at the moment <laughs> oh, no. So the Uncle Jeff coefficient, which is as as regular hammer hammer time listeners will know, give looks at our results this year versus the same games last year and comes up with a number, sort of plus or minus, depending on how well you've done. And we're currently on plus thirteen. Which is wow. a, a pretty amazing, you know. And actually, compared to the rest of the league, um, we are officially, you know, our Uncle Jeff coefficient is, is better than anyone else's. We are the most improved team in the league, and it's a bit, it's a bit, it's a funny one that that we can we can't improve on that if we beat Man United because we beat them last year. So <laughs> yeah. I, I, yeah, I think what I think what, it's a really interesting time to play play United because you just don't know which United you're going to get. No. They seem to be yes, awful one week. Can really good the next week. The problem, the real problem we've got, is that Edison Cavani arrived over the weekend, yeah. and he he just looked absolutely fantastic. You know, he changed the game for them, and I think that that he will now be starting for United for, for pretty much every Premier League game, and and and, I, and he worries me. Um, but you know, we're, we're we're playing you know relatively well, and we're getting results. So we'll see. Yeah, yeah. Has he got we're, has he got ninety minutes in him these days? No, but I think he showed on the weekend that he only needs 45. You know, he, he scored two and set the other one up. He, he 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 did, I know it's a bit of a cliche, but he did remind me of Zlatan, you know, this player who's kind of in the tail end of their career, yeah. but just absolute class. And, and they can do it at the top level and they can do it when it really matters. And I think that he'll be full of confidence. This is assuming he's not suspended, by the way, because he, he used a yes. you know, potential racist slur on social that's, media. That's not going to happen in time, though, is it? That. That's, is it not? that's going to have to be a hearing. I, well, I don't think so. I, I think um, that'll, that'll, we'll, we'll just miss out on that if he is suspended. Um, it's a very interesting um, that. It's the same. It's slightly related to um, the uh, the Luis Suarez um, uh, yeah, case yeah. with in that and you know I remember um, the, uh, Gus Poye talking about this. Another Uruguayan at the time, basically saying that you know in. in <laughs> In Uruguay, the term used, which I won't repeat, is an affectionate term. It's a deliberately affectionate term for a black yeah. person, and it's meant affectionately. And it actually made me think. I was like, well, actually, is you know, I think probably, and I think this, you're probably it's still not right because the context you are in, i.e., you're playing in the Premier League, yeah. um, you are representing an English Premier League team here. We, we, you know, we don't immediately hear that and think, oh, he's being affectionate. We think, oh, blimey, that's not right. It, yeah, but it, isn't yeah. it, it did make me think. Twice, actually. I wasn't quite sure exactly where I stood on it. But sorry, anyway, we, we, we digress. Yeah, yeah. No, I yeah. think that's a good point, though. I, I mean, you know, it's it makes it understandable, but it doesn't necessarily sort of uh, justify it. You know, um, it's an unfortunate thing. And, and yeah. And, you know, in a way, what he said afterwards was basically kind of, yeah, I've learned a lesson from that. Yeah, we, you know, it, it basically said the facts in Uruguay, it is a sort of term of affection, but I realised I shouldn't have done it and I'm sorry, you know, and yeah. that's kind of probably yeah. the yeah. right outcome. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I think uh, so anyway. I'll happily be corrected on that by someone who, yeah. who, who well, frankly, by a black person because, yeah. you know, who are we to say? <laughs> but um, anyway, that was my, my instinct as well. Anyway, he's, he really worries me. He really worries me because he's he's well, he's still he's still world class. He's still got it yeah. in him. Jim, what do yeah, you reckon? But- well, I, I mean, I, I think they're they're whoever plays up front for them. They've got they've got quality, and and there's no doubt that Bruno Fernandez, when he's on, so he worries me more. Um, has, has has transformed them as an attacking force, but they are fantastically inconsistent, as you say. And I think they're going to be worried about us as a as a you know from from a defensive point of view. They're less impressive, and um, 
the last two times out, we've we've at home we've beaten them comfortably, haven't we? Actually, um, yeah. And we should have won the season before last. We should have won in that away game. It was, it was uh, if there'd been VAR, we would have won that game. Um, yeah. Uh, so I think we've got you know we've had. We've played well against them in 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 recent games. Um, we've got to up it, and I think in a way that was a bit of a wake up call that Villa game. And I don't yes. think we'll see a similarly lacklustre performance from some of those key players. Um, I think uh, hopefully Antonio will be a little bit more uh, mm. up and and up to speed. Um, you you do hope though that we're we're not basically sort of wearing out a bit because we yeah but that, you that know, is the concern isn't it there's yeah. a reason he leaves those the same eleven players out on the pitch for ninety minutes yeah. is that the the options are not as good as we uh, you know as I've sort of said what's, on this podcast what's going to be really interesting as well this weekend is there's going to be fans there you know that yeah. that the first. For the first time since March, there will be, you know, it'll be almost quite surreal and weird to see, like, because it will have an impact. What impact it will have, God knows, to be, to be honest, but it will surely have an impact. It's going to be bizarre, isn't it? A tiny amount of people it's in a 60,000-seater yeah. stadium. It's just... I mean, I, I presume neither of you are doing... We, we, we've all got our little block have all gone for the sort of 70-30 thing. I, I, I'm frankly, to be honest, I've got no interest in going back to the Olympic Stadium until everyone's allowed back. I just no. don't... I, I'm just not interested, especially you know. I go with a, with Uncle Jeff, who's approaching eighty. I don't want him anywhere near there. Thank you very much, you know. And I think I, I just think it'll be strange and incomplete and not what we go to football for to go and sit with two thousand people or even thirty thousand people in a seventy thousand seater stadium. It's just not what you want, is it? No, it's fun. It's going to be funny no. as well because they're going to be sort of quite. Um, they're going to be quite on top of making sure everyone sits down the whole game as well. So it's actually going to be slightly sort of sterile, literally, in, in sort of every conceivable uh, connotation oh, yeah. of sterile. Yeah. yeah. However, <laughs> a curiosity and a kind of interesting thing to be able to have said you yeah. were there, I think. Yes. Um, yeah. Yes. Good do, you, do you know if you've got a ticket, Jim? Uh, no, I don't know when the don't know when the sort of announcement is made. So, no. uh, yeah, are you sort of automatically sure. in the in the sort of raffle? Yeah, I think. So. Yeah, yeah, I am. I think. Yeah, yeah. Do, do, yeah. do you well, have to and, sort of and, and Zoe at me and Zoe? Right. So did you um, did you have to sort of formally express an interest, or they just assume that interest? It was more of an opt in. It was an opt out. You were kind of oh, right. unless you opted out, they gave you a chance to opt out. And right, whether or right. not that's an opt out on a game by game basis. Yeah, I don't know. Um, yeah, I I'm worried about sort of fatigue uh, with us. I sort of think you know. Yeah, I agree. Um, I agree. Uh, because obviously it's it's Monday to Saturday, uh, so it's only you know five days, um, and you know Suchek and Rice both and Kufal both played in the international breaks and played quite a lot. Do they have a European game this week? They do. They do. Oh, so yeah, that, that, that's that, that'll, be, that'll be in our favour. Yeah. Um, I hope he sort of, you know, uh, gives Ben Rama some uh, game time. You know, I think he's really, as you say, knocking at the door. I think he's, um, you know, those two assists from when he came on shows, you know, what quality he's got. And I think he, you know, I think he is a sort of, you know, those those Brentford guy, Ollie Watkins, has sort of become indispensable to Aston Villa now. And you sort of sense he's that Barama was... You know, Barama was the Barama was the one, and uh, and you know should should get his chance to shine. So, yeah, predictions. Oh, it's amazing. We 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 move amongst the the the, the title challenges if we win this, don't we? Um, uh, temporarily, at least. Um, I think I don't think we're going to put into crap performance that bad in a row and i think i think we'll score against i think it's going to be an entertaining score draw 2-2 two, 2-2 two. Two, two. benji what do you reckon i think we're, we're flying too close to the sun i, th- I think that we uh we, we we'll play well and lose i think right. we'll lose 2-1 two, 2-1 one. Two, one. yeah um i'll say uh yeah i, I think i'm gonna go for a one all draw one all. Uh, if if uh, two two wasn't already taken, I think I might go for two two, but I'll go for one all. I think a draw. What was uh, my? What was? Can you remember what my Villa prediction was? No. 
Uh, no. I can't remember what mine was. <laughs> I can't remember what mine was. I think uh, I might have... I don't know. I'm imagining this. I think I might have got that right as well. I think I might have yeah. got one. There you go. Anyway. Let's say you did, Jim. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't, I don't um, know. Well, uh, that's probably it for this week's uh, Stop Hammer Time. Uh, my name's Phil Whelans. Uh, with me this week have been Jim Grant. Cheerio. And Benji Lanyardo. Come on, you irons. Come on, you irons. This is a Playback Media production. Get all the associated links for this podcast at westhampodcast.com. Sports Social Podcast Network. It's time to take your body care routine to the next level. Introducing Osea's bestseller body care set, the perfect companion for your summer travels. This four-piece kit transforms dry skin to silky, soft, and glowing. It features travel sizes of Osea's best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil and Body Butter, clinically proven to improve skin elasticity, along with their anti-aging body balm and salts-of-the-earth body scrub. And to top it off, it's packed in a vegan leather bag, making it a must-have for all your summer adventures. Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Treat yourself to glowing, healthy skin this summer with clean vegan skincare and body care from Osea. Right now, you can get the Best Sellers Body Care Set valued at $78 for 33% off. Use code SUMMER to save an additional 10%. That's an additional 10% off at OCEAMalibu.com code SUMMER.